0: This is the third part of our fourth Sunday series called The God Who Speaks, and we're talking about the Bible, why we take it seriously, Psalm 19 is where we're starting today, but we're going to be all over the place. Your handout should have some fill in the blanks, which uh, are really more for me than for you, because if you don't have fill in the blanks, you'll get lost, so it makes, I'm forcing you to stay with us, so pay attention for the fill in the blanks. And I'm going to try to go quickly only because we have so much. So if I skip ahead, it's because we're trying to cover a lot today. But if you're at Psalm 19, let's start there. I want to read verses 7 to 11, and then I want to pray, and then we'll get into it together. even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And Father, we pray that we would experience some of that this morning. Lord, just the, the power of your word, what happens when you speak to us, that we would know you through your word, and that Lord, you would cultivate in us a desire to know you more through your word. Lord, we pray that you would meet us where we're at, Lord. You know where each of us are, Lord. You you know that the spiritual state of our hearts, Lord, you know the emotional state of our hearts. You know if we're just wanting to celebrate you or if we're cynics. You know, Lord, if we're hungry or we're feeling dull. Lord, you know exactly where we are, so we pray that you would, by your spirit, through your word, make yourself known to us. We trust you to do this, and we pray it in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. So there's going to be a little chart on the screen. I don't know if you can read this, but this is from an, a, uh, a website that actually you have to pay for, so you know it's got to be true then, right? And these are statistics about... Uh, Americans and reading the Bible. I couldn't find any on British people reading the Bible. I don't know what that says. But the average American home has 4.4 Bibles. Why they have 1.4 of a Bible, I don't know. But they have 4.4 Bibles in their home. But here's the reality. Lots of statistics that we could go over. But I want to just say this in summing up. 66% of these percent of these households that have 4 plus Bibles in their home read those Bibles less than one time per month. Think about that. Two-thirds of American households who have more than four Bibles in their house on average only read the Bible, well, less than one time a month. It's interesting, isn't it? Typical Americans. Can't ever trust them to be consistent. But it's interesting, isn't it? How we can say this is valuable enough to have multiple versions in our home, but not valuable enough to actually spend some time reading it, thinking about it, praying over it. But the truth is, if we want to hear from God, we have to take his word seriously. And if you remember, just a quick review of the other two uh, uh, sermons that we've done in this series, we we talked in the first one about that the Bible is a trustworthy history. We talked about where the, the, the opinions of cynics and saints overlap, and the fact that you don't have to believe the Bible to know that it's trustworthy in the sense that 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 when it names people and places, that is being confirmed over and over again by archaeology. The fact that it's had a massive impact on culture, the things that you probably, whether you believe or don't believe, the things that you probably value most actually have their roots in the scripture. And it's a a trustworthy document. It's, It's one that has a positive impact. It's one that's trustworthy history. But we also talked about how it's it's we believe it's God's word because Jesus treated the scriptures as God's authoritative word. His apostles treated the scriptures as God's authoritative word. And so, therefore, logically, we should treat the scriptures as God's authoritative word. i encourage you to go back and, and, and look at this. But more than that, so what, what we want to look at this week is, okay, if we believe this is a trustworthy document, the scripture, and we believe that this is at least potentially, God's authoritative word, that if we want to know the God of the scripture, guess what we have to do? We have to engage with it. We have to actually engage with God's word. If we want to hear from God, we have to engage with his word. And so what we're gonna do is, we're gonna give you three main ways that you can engage with God's word today. Three ways that we can hear from the God who speaks. The first is this, you want to be relational. And what, that, what I mean by that is asking yourself, am I faithfully humbling myself before God? What do we mean? First and foremost, here we go. First, first fill in. You guys ready? Relating to God as the highest authority, as the highest authority. When God reveals himself in scripture, he reveals himself as the creator God. In fact, let me say this about Psalm 119 at this point, or uh, Psalm 19, I should say, at this point. If you will read the first bit of Psalm 19, you have this declaration of God, de- how God declares himself through creation. And if you know anything about the Bible, especially the first three chapters, you know the Bible speaks of God creating all the universe with his word. God speaks and things that weren't come to pass. He speaks creation into existence. That power of his words there. And then it's compared to the power that God has in speaking to us through his written word. Speaking through the the, the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature. And so what we have in, in, in this verse I want to share with you in Isaiah chapter 66 is you have these a couple of verses where God's people are thinking, what we really need is to do better for God, to build a temple for God. If we build a temple for God, then we'll get favor from God. He will look on us. But look at what God says. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Don't think of trembling as being afraid of something bad happening to you. Think of trembling as a reverence or an awe before this God who's made all things and has indeed spoken. So it starts with us relating to God as the highest authority. We don't go to God's word as a cynic or as a critical person. We go to God's word and say, okay, this is meant to have authority in my life because God has all authority. I mean, let's just think of this logically. If there's a God, does he not have all authority? Because if he doesn't have all authority, whoever's above him has all authority. So, so here's, the, here's the thing that we need to think about. Okay, if, if God is all, has all authority, the big question is, is he good? This brings us to the second bit about how we humble ourselves before God and be relational. We want to re- be relating to God as the highest priority. Really familiar picture in Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha. Many of you guys know this story. It says that now as they were on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, notice, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, this is not Jesus devaluing Martha's service. This is Jesus protecting Mary's devotion. See, even when he says to her, Mary, Mary, this is not like, when your mom would call you by your first two names, you know what I'm talking about? You knew you were in trouble. When it was just John, you're fine. John Charles, you're busted. This is not Martha, Martha. This is not like that. When, when, when someone would use, especially a man to woman, would use the person's first name, and they would use that person's name twice, it was like moving towards them affectionately. So when, when when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he's saying to her, Martha, you can have what Mary has to relating to God as the highest priority. that We say, God, as much as your service is important, your presence is more important. I want to make that a priority. And lastly, on this big first point about being relational, it's relating to God who wants to be known. God is not static in heaven waiting for us to come to him like, oh, stupid people never do what they're supposed to do. God actually pursues us, even in our stubbornness, even in our rebellion, God pursues us. Listen to this from the Old Testament. This is Hosea the prophet. And he says, come, let us, notice, return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, now he will heal us. He has injured us, now he will bandage our wounds. In a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Do you see what Hosea is saying there? When he talks about God injuring them, it's the idea that God's kind of said, okay, you want to do your own thing? I'm going to let you go and do your own thing. But God always stays kind of close by. And as things get really bad for them, he says, are you ready to return to me? Because if you're ready to return to me, I'm ready to heal you. Do you see the picture here? You see the picture here of a God who's pursuing his unfaithful people that they may be motivated to be faithful. He pursues them in their faithlessness that he might motivate them to be faithful. This is our God. He wants to be known. And this is something that's way bigger than just sort of religious deeds. This is bigger than kind of spiritual disciplines. This is really is about relationship. God desires us to know his word because he wants us to know him. Paul writes about it this way in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Yes, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And I should stop there and say this. When Paul writes this, he first, before these verses, talks about his own religious commitment. And Paul had a religious commitment to the God of the Old Testament, at least his understanding of the God of the Old Testament, that would make the rest of our commitment look ridiculous. It was, he was so committed to try to worship God and follow God by his own understanding by what he thought was right, by the traditions that had been passed on to him. He was totally committed to those things. But when he meets Jesus, he says, I count those all as rubbish. Because all I want to do is know Jesus. He continues to say, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, or we might add, or through daily Bible reading, or through daily prayers, or through giving to the church. Rather, he says, I've become righteous through faith in Christ. In God's, it's for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, to that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul's saying this. He's saying, Listen, all the best things I did to try to make myself right with God, they're garbage. They didn't do anything. All my religious devotion, I guarantee you, Paul was a student of Scripture before he knew Jesus. And Paul's saying, listen, that didn't gain me anything. But when I met Jesus, man, I want to know Jesus more. And it motivated him to continue to be not just a student of Scripture, but if we can apply this term, an expert of Scripture. This is why so much of what we understand Christianity to be is, is, is God speaking through Paul in the New Testament. See, see, what Paul's given us is this radical principle. It's really important for us to understand that God literally resurrects us so we can know him. This is what I mean by being relational, humbling ourselves before God when we crack open the scripture, whether it's on a Sunday morning for a sermon or a Bible study at a house group or your own time reading sometime during the day, that when you crack open the scripture, you say, Lord, I want to do this in submission to you. I I want to acknowledge that you have the highest authority, that I'm relating to you as God, not a creature to be observed, but the creator to be worshiped. And God, I want to make you the highest priority. I I do need your help to fix my other relationships. I do need your help to to make my life move in a better direction to be blessed. I do need that, but I don't want to just see you as a means. I want to see you as the end. That you're the priority. I want to know you. God, I believe that you want to be known. This is what we mean by being relational. But also, listen, we need to be intentional. Intentional. In other words, when, where, and we need to ask ourselves, okay, when, where, and what will I read or listen to as far as the scripture goes? Be intentional. So so what do I mean by that? I mean making some choices. First, choose to grow in discipline and delight. This is a choice. Choose to grow in discipline and delight. delight. Here's the reality. Anything worth doing requires discipline. We recognize that, I hope, right? Anything worth doing requires discipline, but your goal should be delight. Now, we read that statistic in the beginning that uh, Americans, they only uh, read their Bibles, uh, two-thirds of them only read their Bibles once, less than once a month. These are the, those who have like 4.4 in their houses, right? So there's no problem with access. They only read like once a month or less. But, but the issue is if they just say, well, I'm not feeling it, so I'm not going to do it, they're probably never going to do it. But they say, "Okay, fine, I'll do it." And their goal isn't delight; they're probably not going to consistently do it either. I want you to think of it this way: Uh, those of you who are in kind of any kind of relationship, any kind of relationship, or it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Just think about the people that you value most, the people that you want to keep relating to. Can you imagine looking at them and saying, "You know what? If I have time this month to talk to you, we'll get together. If not, we'll see." How would they feel? Now, I'm not saying God's like us and he feels all sad when we don't seek him. I think he is sad. I think he's sad for us. I think he's sad for us. He wants us to know him. So we want to go from discipline to light. We want to grow both in discipline and delight. A couple scriptures about this. First, about discipline. Listen, Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. This is the discipline part. And in a very real way, listen, any reading of Scripture could be helpful. So if you're just kind of making your way systematically, just trying to read through it, and you're not getting much out of it, it's probably still having a good impact. It really is. So, so, so disciplining yourself to do this is going to have a big impact. What about delight? Well, Psalm chapter 1 says this. The psalmist says, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Stop there and think about where you get most of your information. Where do you get your worldview developed most? Think about that. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Any reading is going to be good, but worshipful reading is going to bring real benefit. Real benefit. So choose to grow in discipline and delight. Also, listen, choose a Bible version that's accurate and easy to understand. Oh, no time to talk about those. Let's move on. Just kidding. This is where there's a little bit of controversy sometimes. I'm not going to take too much time on this, but there is a little bit of controversy. So there are different types of Bible translations. All translation requires some interpretation. You need to know that. So in case you didn't know, the, the, the Bible was originally written in one of three languages. Hebrew for most of the Old Testament, Aramaic for different parts of the Old Testament, and then Greek for the New Testament. Now the, Jesus, the, the Bible that Jesus and his disciples would have used was probably all in Greek. It was called the Septuagint. And it was probably all in Greek. But it was translated from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek. Okay? It was not written in English, whatever your native tongue is. It wasn't written that way. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, all right? So for us to have it in English, there has to be not just translation, but also in some ways, interpretation. Those of you who are linguists here, there's a couple linguists here, and when you translate, you have to also interpret, don't you? Or or other way around, it's to say, when you interpret, you also have to translate. It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? The, the, The reality is you have to say what's being said, but not literally word for word, but probably more thought for thought, there's a little bit of that. Now, now, if you're doing this in a professional capacity, you probably have to be as close to what they're saying as you possibly can get. So so on, on the screen, there's going to be a list of Bible versions. Now, you guys, have you guys noticed how I always put the little sort of three, those little abbreviations? Now you get to know what they mean. So English Standard Version is ESV, New King James, uh, obviously NKJV, so on and so forth, right? Now, the different types there are, there are, as you see in the categories, word-for-word, thought-for-thought, paraphrase, and what I'm calling modern paraphrase. A word-for-word tries to stick to the the most original they can possibly get. Now, I should probably also say this about Bible translations. There's several different kind of manuscript lines, which gets very complicated, so we won't get into that. And so there are different versions that try to gather different manuscript lines, and they prioritize maybe one manuscript line over the other. But when they translate, they try to translate as much word-for-word as they can. Now, what that means sometimes is that when you read it, it can feel a little bit choppy because it's word for word. It's probably closer, more accurate as far as the the word for word goes than you're going to get any other version, but it can be a bit choppy. This is why I like some of the modern versions of these. This is why we usually use ESV when we're teaching the Bible. It's it's an accurate version. It's a word for word translation, but it's fairly smooth. It's fairly readable. You have other versions that are like more thought-for-thought. Thought. NIV's thought-for-thought. Thought. I didn't quote any NIV today. It doesn't mean I don't think it's a good version, but it's more thought-for-thought. Thought. You have the New Living Translation, one of my favorites, especially if you're a new believer because it does a really good job, especially with the New Testament. Thought-for-thought. Thought. Old Testament sometimes, eh. Paraphrases. Here's, the, here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Paraphrases were really popular, like in the 70s and 80s, really before any of you were born. Really popular back then. Things like the Living Bible, Good News Bible, those were really, really popular, right? In fact, I should say this, the NLT is kind of a, it's a thought for thought, but there's a little bit of paraphrasing there going as well. But but here's the reality, okay? The thing with the paraphrase is they can be helpful sometimes, but they can also be hurtful other times. Because the longer, the farther you go down the list, the more translation or the more interpretation, I should say, is going on. So you get to the message, and the message was written by a guy named Eugene Pearson, totally God the guy, wrote some amazing things, lovely man of God, great scholar. But the message is probably the worst on this list. This is why I almost never quote from it. Because there's so much translation in it, you're basically, and Eugene Peterson himself said, I didn't write this so it could be used in pulpits, I wrote this so people could. Have something to, to read that was fresh. So again, I'm not saying you're, you're not a Christian if you own the message, you know, or you're a bad Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't let it be the primary Bible version that you read. So what should we read? Go to the next slide. Highlight just two. ESV is what we teach from, so I really encourage you, if you want your own Bible you want to take notes in on a Sunday morning and you go to servants, read the ESV. If the church that you normally go to, the church you're committed to, uses a different version, hopefully not one of the bottom through, uh, two or three, but there's a different version, use that version so you can follow along. So as they're teaching the Scripture, you're hearing what the Scripture is saying, okay? But also, if you're newer to the faith, especially, I would really encourage you to get an NLT. Because the, especially if you're going to just, I really encourage people to start in the New Testament, just read through the New Testament, because it's a really great first one to read. Now, here's what I do, and I'm not saying this because... Uh, Uh, I'm the standard. But what I I did is I cut my teeth on the New King James because the church that I got saved in used the New King James. So I used the New King James almost exclusively, not for Bible study prep, but for my own reading and my own preaching, almost exclusively for about 15 years. I didn't use anything else. And then one one year for my devotions, I thought I was getting so familiar with my Bible reading that I was beginning to kind of get bored, if I'm honest. And so I decided to read the New American Standard, and it really just opened my eyes because I just... I was getting so familiar, and you know the whole phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. I was getting so familiar, I thought, i got to change this up. So now what I tend to do is I read a different version every year. This year I happen to be back at the New King James. But I'll read New King James, New American Standard, uh, NLT, NIV, just a different version every year. Now, now, I'm saying this because, listen, if you're not thinking about what am I going to read, or if you're not a reader, there's so many good free Bible apps that you can get almost all these versions for for free where you can listen to these things being read, And there's no shame in that whatsoever. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. So listening to it's cool. Do it. But the the, the issue is it's about spending time alone with God, maybe just picking one version per season or at least per book of the Bible you're reading through and wanting to hear from God. Don't let your time alone, that kind of time that you're going to pick during the day, to, to be a time where you're trying to do big study. I need some study Bibles. I want to learn how to use Greek. I want to, don't, don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to your relationship with God. There's a place for that, a really good place for that. But let your worship be biblical and your Bible reading be worshipful. And one of the best ways you can do that is pick a version, read it. We'll talk more about how we do that in a second. But also Listen. We have a a Servants Church Bible reading plan. Not not the only one. There's tons available. But ours is five days a week. You read Monday to Friday. You read a chapter of the New Testament. You read a chapter of the Old Testament. You read Psalms or Proverbs. In doing that, you get to the whole New Testament in a year. You get to the Old Testament in two years. You get Psalms and Proverbs two or three times in that time. Okay? We we did this because I I did this based on, okay, how long does it take? I did the Bible through a year uh, in a year one time, one year. And even though I, I could do it, I, I felt like it was getting, like I'm just trying to get something done. It was a lot of reading. I, I, this kind of was a good pace for me. Now, here's what I suggest to you if, you, if your if Bible reading consistently is new to you, just do the New Testament. The longest chapter in the New Testament is Luke chapter 1, 81 verses. I read it out loud to myself this week, or actually it was last week, but still. Out loud, just to see, I read it out loud, tried to be really clear, so it was methodical and clear, so I could understand it. It took me just under 10 minutes. That's the longest chapter. Imagine if you got alone five days a week, said, God, I want to trust that you're in authority. God, I want to make my relationship with you the priority. God, I, I, I want to know you because I believe you want to be known. So I'm going to take my whatever version of the Bible it is, and I'm going to open it up. I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to take 10 or 15 minutes. and I'm going to say, Lord, meet me here. Do you think that might have an impact in your life? Now, the, here's the here's the reality as well. As you're doing that, you're going to find things that are tough, hard to understand, or things that you understand and they're hard to to take. You're going to experience this. This is also why being intentional is helpful, because if you're prepared for that, you can wrestle through that. You can wrestle with God through that. Uh, Peter wrote this in two Peter chapter three, NLT is New Living Translation. Remember this, okay? Some of Paul's comments, Peter writes, are, this is Paul who wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament, right? Some of Paul's comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. This is the thing we need to understand. Hard to understand, the hard to understand bits, whether they're difficult to get your head around or they're difficult to swallow morally, those take more reverence, not less. Because if you're not being reverent about that, God, I don't get this. God, this bothers me. There needs to be an honest reverence, but there needs to be like, okay, God, but I, if this is your word, if, you, if this is indeed your word, I gotta trust you to show me what this means and to show, show me what I'm supposed to do with this. You guys following me? This is what we mean by intentional. Now, lastly, almost done. We need to be thoughtful. Thoughtful. God himself wants to speak to you from scripture, but this is not some kind of strange mystical experience. This is not about you kind of going, oh, flip through, flip through. Oh, that's the word for me today. This is about being intentional and about using your brain when you do it, being thoughtful. And this sometimes I think was what intimidates people. People think, "Oh, I'm not very clever. I never was a good student. I didn't go to uni, whatever the case might be, or I'm flunking out of uni, whatever the case might be." And you're thinking, "I, I don't know that I can really be thoughtful." Yes, you can. You can. You can be plenty thoughtful. You can ask, "What can I observe about what I'm reading or listening to?" Here's what you want to do, really practically. You guys, ready? Notes. Characters involved, this is your fill in. Note characters involved and actions happening and words spoken. Note those things, pay attention. Now you might go, gosh, this is sound like it's going to become a bit of work. If you've ever read anything or even watched anything, you're already doing this. We automatically do what's called hermeneutics, where we kind of think about what's happening in the story in front of us. We all automatically do this. Some better than others, some track quicker than others, but we all do this. You watch a film, you don't go, I don't really know who's involved, I'm lost. Unless it's a really bad film. (laughs) Usually you kind of go, oh, so-and-so did so-and-so, and and then so-and-so did such-and-such. You pay attention when there's dialogue because that moves the story along. You try to follow who said what when. You do it already. Do it with the scriptures. Note these things. Next thing about being thoughtful, listen. Remember, it's not written to you, but it is written for you. So if you read, say, where are we right now? We are in the book of Romans for the Servant's Church Plan. So in the book of Romans, if you're reading the book of Romans, okay, you're not a Roman. You're not in the first century, okay? Most of you are probably Gentiles. They were Gentiles as opposed to Jews. But, okay, some of you might be new Christians, You also have never met Paul. They never met Paul. So you have some things in common and some things don't. But it wasn't written to you in the 21st century. You you, you follow me. But it was written for you. It was written down for every generation after the first to know. So so here's some things. There's a list I want you to think about. Again, I can send you guys these PowerPoint slides later. Don't worry about taking down too many notes if it's too hard. Is there a promise I need to believe? So you're reading through Romans and it says something that sounds like a promise. Does that apply to you? Is it only a promise to you? Like if it says, Paul says, I will soon be in your city. That's not a promise to you. But if it's a promise that says that God will finish what he started, that's actually Philippians. That's a promise to you. that applies to you as well. Is there a command I need to obey? If you're going to God's word recognizing, God, you're in authority, but you're going, I ain't going to do what it says, you don't recognize God's in authority, or you're just simply in rebellion. Is there a command I need to obey? Is there a sin I need to confess? One of the hardest things about reading the Bible is you go, man, I really am not doing so well sometimes. But you know what's really cool about reading the Bible? Let most of the characters in there, other than Jesus, aren't always doing really well either. And you see where they blow it, and they have to confess and repent. Is there a sin I need to confess? What does this teach me about God? So anytime you see it talking about God, the Father, or God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit, what does that tell me about God? Maybe you don't understand, maybe all it leads you is to questions about God. That's okay. What is this teaching about humanity? Don't worry about if he's writing or so that what you're reading is written to Christians or non-Christians, necessarily. Don't worry about that as much as asking, "What does this teach me about humanity?" This is what I mean about. Remember, it's not written to you, but it is written for you. Ask those questions. Learn to know this. Now at this point, you might be thinking, OK. I have no intention to read my Bible. <laughs> I don't know why I'm here other than to see my friend get baptized or something. Or I heard there's free food. But, but I want you to think about this. I really want to challenge you with this, okay? I have known people who become Christians before they ever read the Bible, for sure. And I have known lots of people who have read the Bible, just so they can say they have, who have not become Christians. Okay, but but, follow me with this logic, okay? I have met hardly anyone who is willing to go, okay, I'm going to assume that this book could be God's word. And I'm going to assume that this book is at least reasonably historically trustworthy. And I'm going to read this book for what it claims to be. I've rarely met anybody who's willing to do that and not come to a place and say, man... It's amazing how, much people, how many people have opinions. I wonder if you have an opinion about Scripture and you've never read it. Or oh, maybe you've heard sermons about it. Maybe you've read articles about it, but you've actually never read it. Has anybody ever said to you or have you said, it can be either or, either you said it or someone said to you, the Bible's full of contradictions. Anybody ever heard that before? Anyone? A few of you? Yeah? Every time someone asks me, I say, okay, can you show me one? Or, or have you ever read the Scripture for yourself? I've never had a person say, yes, I have. Never, not once. Because this book is different than any other book that you've ever engaged with. Lastly, we're almost done. Talking about the idea of being thoughtful, what do we mean? It means this, be careful with your interpretation and prayerful in your application. We're gonna be even more practical something that would be really helpful, I've found really helpful. Again, I've only been doing this for maybe the last 15, eh, 15, 20 years since I've been a Christian, but I've been trying to journal. I've been more focused on that last decade. And when I mean journaling, I, personally, when I journal, I, I don't sort of get, have super long, lengthy prayers or thoughts. Sometimes I do, but usually I'm just maybe writing down a verse that I felt like jumped out at me or a question. And, and In fact, this is something that Sarah used to do, my wife Sarah used to do when our kids were really small and she didn't have She was having a hard time to find 10 minutes or 15 minutes to just read the scripture. She would kind of go, okay, I'm going to try to read a chapter when I can. Sometimes she would just do it when she was doing something else. And she might just pick one verse that she would write on a three-by-five card and stick it in front of where she was either washing up or just keep it in her pocket. And she'd pull it out and she'd think, okay, I I just read through it quickly, but now I'm going to write just one verse. I'm going to just think on that verse all day. And here's one of the things that I do that's been really effective. Try personalizing, especially the prayers that come up through the Scripture. Man, there's some amazing prayers in the New Testament. Let me give you a quick example. We're almost done. This is Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened through his might, with might, through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, to, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a lovely prayer Paul prays for the Ephesians. How would you pray this for yourself? This is how I wrote it personalized for me. I want you to think about this. As I read this out loud, I want you to dare maybe make this your prayer. Our Father, I bow before you and I give thanks that I am part of your whole family in heaven and earth. Please grant me according to your riches to be strengthened with might through your spirit in the inner man that Christ would dwell in my heart through faith, that I, being rooted and grounded in love, that's your love, may be able to comprehend with all of God's people what is the width and the length and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that I would be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you realize, if you read the the the. English Book of Common Prayers, you'll get some great prayers in there, a lot of prayers that are based on the scripture, but if you're actually praying exactly what the scripture says, you're praying authoritative prayers. (laughs) This is You can know for a fact this is what God wants for you. Can you see how this might help? I wonder how many of you are hearing this right now and you're going, man, I want to start reading my Bible. I wonder if, How many of you are sitting here right now going, I should want to read my Bible, but I really still don't care. I want to talk to both of you groups because here's the reality. Where we fail to submit to the authority of Jesus, I mean, authority of God, and and we fail to, to make our relationship with God a priority and we fail to believe that God wants to really know us, Jesus did it perfectly. He did it perfectly. Which is why we can't save ourselves and he has to save us. See, God really does want you to engage with his word. God really does want you to know him. But he's not saying save yourself through Bible reading. He's saying trust the God of the Bible. Know the God of Scripture by seeking him in his word.